Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. And welcome to episode 117 of Killer Hangover. <laughs> I'm Bettina. And I'm Beth. We have true crime out of Texas. And Bethy has paranormal and a drink out of the same state. So let's start with you, Bethy. What do you have? Okay, bad introduction, Mom, because I am not introducing a drink from Texas. <laughs> oh, oh, I am so sorry. We kind of did stop doing that. So. Yeah, I know. We're so used to it. And it really has, like, nothing to do. <laughs> has nothing to do with this whole episode. I just wanted to drink this. I mean, it kind of does. Uh, uh, uh. Okay, when we get to my story, you decide if this has anything to do with it or not. I am drinking Fright Night in the Grove. Oh, what a name. So this recipe actually came first from Jägermeister. Yes. <laughs> so it's, Mom, this is totally up your alley. Okay. Like, this drink was made for you. <laughs> Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, it's a half ounce of tequila, two ounces of Jägermeister, mm. one ounce of freshly squeezed grapefruit juice, mm. a half ounce of simple syrup, and a grapefruit slice for garnish, <laughs> and then a pinch of kosher or sea salt. Really? I'm surprised you're bringing up this drink. Okay. It is divine. With the tequila and the Jäger, like it they really go together well, which really surprised me. And then you have the tang of the grapefruit and the simple syrup really adds, like it rounds it all out. Sure. It makes yeah, okay. it just, oh, it's, it's good. Do you think I could use agave instead of simple syrup? Probably, probably. So you gather all of the ingredients and in a cocktail shaker, you fill it with ice and you Pour in the tequila, Jägermeister, grapefruit juice, and simple syrup. You shake it. You strain into an old-fashioned glass filled with fresh ice. You garnish with your grapefruit and a pinch of salt. Wow. Sounds delish. Yes. I found this on the spruceeats.com yes. website, but I knew I wanted to do a cocktail with Jaeger. And that has something to do with my story. Okay. I kind of was perusing the good old Google trying to find a good Jaeger cocktail. And we've already done a few of them. Yes. So. Because we love them so much. This is something that I usually wouldn't lean towards, but I want, you know, got to try something new. Got to. Got to. Well, enjoy. Listeners, as you can probably tell, we are recording virtually again. But we're really recording virtually. Yes. <laughs> All the way in Washington State, uh, visiting my sister. She lives right by the bay, so if you catch seagulls in the far distance, I'm not on the ocean. <laughs> I'm sitting on the floor in my sister's house in a corner. Hey, Mom, before we get started, have you watched The Deep End on Hulu? Well, as a matter of fact, I have. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, it sounds so corny. But you guys were really excited. I don't know if you've seen The Deep End. It's on Hulu. It's a fascinating documentary. Spiritual teachers and their dedicated followers and just it's pretty intense. But we are really excited because the private investigator that was a part of that Hulu documentary, well, she sat down with mom. <laughs> she sat down with my mother and gave an interview. Molly Monahan, terrific interview, had so much stinking fun. Yeah, that was that was a good time. It's an awesome interview and it's for patrons only. So go there on Patreon, find us, check it out. <sighs> I'm just so excited. Yeah, well, I thought it would be fun to talk to a private eye. I mean, we have never done that. We've interviewed two detectives, and I thought, oh, private eye would be fun. And that led into just interesting. It was a really interesting interview. It really was. So go check it out and join Patreon. Okay. All right. Before I begin, I need to add a disclaimer, as it were. I will be talking about sexual assault. Also, I will not into great detail, but I will go into detail as to how the bodies of the victims were found. So I just want listeners to be aware of that. So I wanted to do justice for the girls in the story I'm going to tell. So the environment is not perfect. I hope that doesn't take away from this because this is a story that most everybody has heard about if you're in the true crime world, but it has to be told over and over and over again so that we do not forget. Oh, we, we unfortunately have way too many of those. Yeah. This crime happened about 31, well, it happened 31 years ago and is still unsolved. I think it's important that people keep bringing this up in podcasts and, you know, true crime shows because somebody out there as we have said before somebody knows something and somebody's got to step up i'm talking about the yogurt shop murders that happened on december 6 1991 in austin texas you're familiar mm -hmm. with that case of course right i am it was a friday night at the i can't believe it's yogurt shop in a strip mall now you probably are not familiar with those shops are you Oh, I am. They used to have one in the mall. <laughs> Did they really? Yeah. Oh, oh, <laughs> I didn't remember that. Before I go on with the timeline, I want to introduce you to the four beautiful young women that were killed. I think it's very important to keep them in the forefront of this crazy true crime. We try to advocate for the victims, and I think that in this case, we really need to bring them in the forefront, not the crime itself. Eliza Thomas. She was a senior in high school who enjoyed country music and loved to dance. She collected cat figurines and enjoyed being around animals. Her goal after graduating was to become a model. She was very good and knowledgeable about makeup and hair. Looking at pictures, she could easily have achieved her goal. Eliza was very pretty. She was in 4-H and showed and sold pigs, in part to make money to help her obtain her goal. She had recently made enough money to make her first model portfolio. Wow. This was also the reason that she took the closing supervisor position at the yogurt shop. And she took this. Good for her. She took this in February of 1991. So that same year. 
I apologize for all the noise around me right now. Are you in the middle of a construction site? <laughs> like, I feel like. Oh, I'm so sorry. She's huddled, I guess that would she's be huddled in the corner, <laughs> balancing me on a pillow. <laughs> the things we do for this podcast. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Not to take away from the victims here. No. Jennifer Harbison, also a senior in high school. She and Eliza were good friends. Jennifer was very social. Everyone at the high school knew her. She participated in sports and had become quite the track and field star. She was very involved with the Future Farmers program at the school, loved animals, was involved in 4-H, and she showed sheep. She showed sheep. Don't say that too many times. I know. She showed sheep and Eliza showed pigs. There you go. I love this. Jennifer had a great fondness for horses which makes sense as her goal after graduating high school was to participate in rodeo barrel races. Ah, She had already raced in several of these events and was very good. She was working the closing shift at the yogurt shop to help with the purchase of a blue Ford truck she had an eye on. So she wasn't just letting her stepfather pay for this truck. She was very diligent. She wanted to earn it. She, yeah. yeah. All these girls were exceptional young ladies they really were from every description both eliza and jennifer were very dependable and hard-working young ladies jennifer's 15 year old sister sarah harbison was also at the store that terrible night sarah was a freshman at the high school she had a competitive nature and loved sports especially basketball she also played high school volleyball and was a cheerleader now get this she did this often After playing in a basketball game, so the girls' game, she would turn around, run to the locker room, change, and come back as a cheerleader and cheer for the boys' game. Oh, my god! Now, that takes stanima. I mean... I was going to say, she had to be exhausted at the end of the night. Talking about energy. I know. Sarah was also in 4-H, and following her sister's lead, also showed sheep. Sarah's best friend, 13-year-old Amy Ayers was at the yogurt shop that night also. The two girls were looking forward to a sleepover at Sarah's house. Amy was full of life and was obsessed with the great outdoors. Her greatest passions were fishing and horses, and this started when she was very young. She was, in fact, winning horse riding shows at the age of three. Oh, my goodness. She, too, was active in school, including being part of the yearbook staff. Amy's dream was to one day own a spread of land in the country where she would keep at least two horses of her own as well as other animals. And because of her love of animals, she was bound and determined that she was going to be a veterinarian so that she would have the knowledge to care and help the creatures she was so passionate about. Oh, my gosh. As you can tell by these short descriptions, Amy, Sarah, Jennifer, and Eliza were smart, ambitious, active young women. Now I'm going to go through the timeline of events to the best of my ability. There's a lot out there and sources differ on certain things. So this is to the best of my ability. Eliza was at the shop shortly before 7 p.m. She placed her purse into the office, locked it, and put the keys in its place under the register. This is important. Keep it in mind. She was also responsible for working the register that night. Jennifer followed closely behind. 
She had dropped her sister Sarah and Amy off at a nearby mall. The younger girls had been very excited about hanging out alone at the mall without a parent or older sibling. I don't know if you remember those days. I loved doing that (laughs) as a kid. Just felt so grown up. We always hit up the candy store. (laughs) I remember just getting so much candy at the candy store. When the mall closed, they were to walk to the yogurt shop. As some sources say, Jennifer left to pick them up, others that they walked. So, again, a little difference there. Either way, the girls left the mall at 9 p.m. when the mall closed. After arriving at the yogurt shop, Sarah and Amy decided that they were hungry, so they walked a few doors down from the shop and picked up a pizza before the pizza joint closed at 10. Okay. Crazy enough, the yogurt shop did not close until 11. Oh, wow. So it was one of the last stores to close in the strip mall. Customers had come in to buy desserts all night long, most being regulars. One, which was a retired police officer and security company owner, Daryl Croft, who came in between 9.30 and 10. He arrived with two females who remained in his car. In his interview, he stated that he saw a man and woman at the counter looking at the menu. There was a young couple in a booth and an odd man wearing a green fatigue-like jacket. The man stood about six feet tall, had dark hair, and a long pointy nose. What was odd about the man was that he kept telling people to go ahead of him, as if he was buying time. Then, after buying a soda, he headed behind the counter. Croft asked Eliza where the man was going and was told that the shop's bathrooms were back there. So it's like Mm. a hallway that leads into a storage, a small storage area. Okay, so picture this. This is behind the counter, and there's two bathrooms, one on either side of the hallway. Mm-hmm. I think a little further down from the bathrooms, but before you get to the storage area is that office that was locked. Okay. Wow, what an odd setup. Yeah, really. It kind of was. Croft had a very uneasy feeling about the man and hung out as long as he could. But then with melting yogurt, he headed back to his car to join his friends. Now, I just have to insert something here. Okay. If Croft was getting bad vibes from the unknown guy, why didn't he stay in the parking lot keeping an eye out for the girls? I mean, he was a prior yeah. policeman and he owned a security. So he these vibes, these feelings were something that he should that he should know that were accurate most of the time. Sure. Of course, you know, on the other hand, this is hindsight and I'm not I was just going to say in that. Any yeah. way am I blaming him? I'm just questioning if you have this I mean, he obviously really had this sense that this guy was not good because he stayed in the yogurt shop and, Mm -hmm. you know, for a while. And even questioned, like, where he was going. going And trying to keep his eye out. And then he left. So maybe, maybe, yeah, he just thought the guy was a little odd. Maybe he didn't get some, like, totally negative feeling. But then in hindsight, he was like, ah, that off feeling was Yeah, you never know in hindsight what witnesses are telling you. I know. So... Or even what, you know, they probably question what they were feeling also. Of course, yeah. The last purchase of the night was to a couple who were also questioned by the police. They reported that besides themselves, there were two men sitting in the booth closest to the cash register. The woman said that the men gave her the heebie-jeebies. There was something off about them. 
There didn't seem to be any food or drinks on the table between the two. When asked to describe the men, she said the first one was about 5'6 or 5'7 with dirty blonde hair and in his late 20s or early 30s. He wore a large black jacket. The second man was larger, about six feet tall, with dark hair and an elongated pointy nose, wearing a green fatigue jacket. Sound familiar? Oh, so it's the same guy. Now he has a buddy with him. Yeah. Maybe that's who he was waiting for when he kept saying, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. The shop had a precise closing schedule. All the shops, all the, I can't believe it's yogurt shops around the country had this closing schedule. And the girls always followed it to the T. So that Friday night, the girls had already started implementing the closing schedule. At 10.50, the sign was flipped to close to hinder any new customers. The door was locked with the key in the lock on the inside to stop okay. people from coming okay. in and to let people out. Tables were wiped down and napkin holders filled for the next day. And as in most restaurants, the chairs were to be placed upside down on the tables to make mopping the floors easier. Mm -hmm. So that had already been started. At 1147, a police officer saw smoke coming from the yogurt shop. He called dispatch and 1150, the first fire truck arrived. By 1157, there were three fire trucks and about 50 firemen. The fire was fast burning and smoke made a thick haze, making it hard to see anything. Detective John Jones heard the call about the fire. Then he received a call. The fireman had found a body. On his way to the scene, he got another call. Three more bodies had been discovered. Mm. When he got to the scene, he described it as a wholesale carnage. There was fire, smoke, and extensive water damage. It was impossible to dust for fingerprints. So, mm. I mean, if you can just imagine what the scene looked like. The fire was so hot. The first body he saw was that of 13-year-old Amy Ayers. She was lying in front of the back room. She had been sexually assaulted, strangled with her own clothes, <sighs> and shot twice in the back of her head. Walking further into the back of the room, Joan saw 15-year-old Sarah Harbison... She had her hands tied behind her back, her own sock stuffed into her mouth, and her body has sustained extensive burns. 17-year-old Eliza Thomas was found on top of Sarah's body. Her body and face burned beyond recognition. She had to be identified by dental records. 17-year-old Jennifer Harbison's body was close by, also burned beyond recognition. The three young women had also been shot in the head, had close contact gunshot wounds. Gosh darn it. All the bodies were found naked and with socks stuffed into their mouth. It was discovered that two guns had been used, a twenty-two and a three eighty caliber. These have never been located. The bodies in the back room were found face up. Amy's body was found face down. I have to add here that some sources say that two of the women were sexually assaulted and the others say that just Amy sustained the assault. So I am not clear as to how many women were actually assaulted. Amy, for sure. Okay. Some weird things about the crime scene. The front door was still locked, and the key was still in the inside of the door. The back door, which was usually locked, was unlocked. 
Investigators think that the suspects exited through the back door, but were in the shop when the front door was locked. Makes sense. Maybe the two guys. Two different guns were used, causing the detectives to conclude that there were more than one suspect. And to add to that conclusion, as I mentioned, these four girls were very athletic and strong. It would have been very hard, if not impossible, for one man to subdue all four women. How and where was the fire started? The thought is that the suspects brought the accelerant, most likely butane found in lighters. That was, I mean, they don't know for sure, but that was the thought. Interesting. The fire started in the back room on the second or third shelf of a storage unit. Pictures are very eerie. The items that had been on the shelf were unrecognizable. I mean, they were melted. And the phone, I this just gave me the creeps. I couldn't figure out what the item was. And then they said, it's a wall phone. Okay. Now, I know these aren't very familiar to you, but... <laughs> Hey, I grew up with a house phone. I'm not that young. (laughs) So this was a phone hanging on the wall. It was melted, literally melted. You see the plastic just, it was like Salvador Dali painting where everything's melted. Yes. And that's what the phone looked like. It was so weird. Huh. It was just chilling to look at, an example of how hot the fire was. It's also thought that the accelerant was poured on the victims after they were dead and stacked. So they thought that the girls in the back room had been stacked on top of each other. So you said that they sustained some pretty bad burns. Mm -hmm. Were they already dead before? Yeah, yeah, it was concluded that the women were already dead before they were lit on fire so basically the fire was to hide any kind of evidence it doesn't make it better but okay so this leads to another oddity even though the bodies were not found on top of each other it's thought that they were initially placed that way because amy's body now remember amy's body is totally separate from the other three right okay right it it suggests that somehow the first bullet did not kill her and she was able to crawl away. Oh, god! She was then sexually assaulted, strangled, and shot a second time. Now, this is the scenario that the detectives have come up with. There was also a bruise under her chin. There's no way of knowing whether the three other women were hit because of the burns that their bodies sustained. I believe that Amy's body had first and second degree burns, and the others were definitely more severe. Hmm. Was this a robbery? Probably not. Yes, money was taken from the register, estimated to be around $540. But the office was still locked and the key still under the register. Oh, wow. Now, there was a safe in the office with money in it. And remember that Eliza had put her purse in the office also and had locked the door. There was no attempt to get into the office at all. Oh, that just makes me so mad. So it wasn't, it could not have been a robbery. There was also a bag of money sitting in full view on a shelf under the register, which was still there when police came to the crime scene. This is yet another indication that the men did not come into the store through the back door as they would have seen the bag of money. But even if they did, it doesn't seem like they even wanted it though. Like, yeah, they just took the five. Even if they did see it. Yeah. 
Also odd was that there were some items of the victims missing. Two pair of underwear and Amy's bomber jacket. Were they taken as trophies? These items have never been found. There were also things at the scene that indicated that the girls were attacked right after closing. Some of these can be seen in the crime scene photos. The booth that the two men had been sitting at had not been cleaned. Remember, cleaning started at 10 till 11. All the napkin holders had been filled except for the one at the booth. Except for that one. Mm -hmm. All the tables had chairs turned upside down on them. The booths had one chair turned upside down, except for the booth the men were sitting at. One of the women had been cleaning the yogurt dispensers, but didn't finish. The counter was only partly wiped down, so that job had also been interrupted. At 11.03, the cash register opened with a no sale. Was that the start of events? We don't know. The empty till was found by Amy's body. Suspects. The first person questioned about the murder was 16-year-old Maurice Pierce, who was picked up at the mall carrying a 22 revolver. The three guys he was known to hang out with were also brought in for questioning. Forrest Wellborn, 15, Robert Springsteen, and Michael Scott. Don't bring up the office. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> Both were 17, so these were young men. I was just going to say, these are babies. Ugh. The four had to be released when the ballistics of Maurice's 22 did not match those of the yogurt shop murders, and there was no other evidence tying them to the murders. In the fall of 1992, two Hispanic men were arrested in Mexico for a kidnapping and sexual assault in Austin. One of the two had a definite resemblance to a witness's sketch of a man she saw hanging around the outside of the yogurt shop on the night of the murders. The men confessed to the murders to the Mexican authorities, but oh. many of the details they gave of the murders did not match what was found at the crime scene. Were they just trying to go back into uh, an American jail or American prison? Their confession was most likely coerced by the Mexican authorities because when the Austin detectives questioned them, they both recanted their confession. So either physically or mentally, whatever, they, it was thought that it was coerced. Keith McDuff, have you heard of him? We might have to cover him. He's a serial killer around the Austin area at the time of the yogurt shop murders, admitted to the crime at the time of his execution, but probably to add to his moment of fame or attention because it was determined that he was not involved. Oh, gosh darn it. Paul Dennis Reed. The fast food murderer? Yeah, I've heard this name before. Okay. Was also looked at as his MO was the same, but DNA showed no match. So they did have DNA in the scene? Yes, from vaginal swabs. Okay. And I'll, I'll get into that, of course. Okay, every lead was looked into. Now hold on to your seat. These were some of the leads that these poor police were had to go follow. Supernatural groups. Graveyard rites, the occult, and vampires. Oh, my God. There was also a group questioned who took pictures at night in graveyards and was obsessed with the yogurt murders. But nothing came of it. In 1997, fresh eyes were on the case when Paul Johnson was assigned to it. He turned his attention to the four men that were initially questioned. Pierce, Wellborn, Scott, and Springsteen were again brought in for questioning. 
The interrogations were extremely harsh. You can see the videos of these online. I would say that they were violent. They lasted hours and hours with yelling from the detectives. You know exactly what happened. Now tell me. You used her clothes to tie her up, didn't you? Didn't you? At one point, a detective held a gun to the back of Springsteen's head, yelling, this is how you held the gun to their head, wasn't it? Oh, gosh. Detectives could not get a confession out of Wellborn, who stood by his word that he was innocent and was not even near to the yogurt shop at the time of the murders. Without evidence or a confession, Wellborn and Pierce were released. Springsteen's trial was in 2001. The jury found him guilty, and he was sentenced to death. So, hold on. He went to trial for the yogurt shop murders? Yes. Yes. Because... And they found him guilty. Because he confessed. So, he and Mike Scott both confessed to the crimes. They were the older ones at the time of the murders. You know, they were both 17. But... You know, you can watch you can watch the videos and how violent and harsh these interrogations were. It was just awful. And so many people think that they were coerced. Again, they too were coerced into confessing just to get the whole thing over with. You know, just, yes, I did it. So he confessed, went to trial, was found guilty. And and and. You still don't, you don't think that it was really him? Well, he was sentenced to death. Okay. Now this sentence was later overturned and it was, uh, it was reduced to life in prison after the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that juveniles could not be sentenced to death. Mm -hmm. Scott's trial was in 2002. He was also found guilty and was sentenced to life. Both convictions were overturned. Springsteen's in 2006 and Scott's in 2007. The Court of Appeals ruled that prosecutors had used the confession of each man in evidence against the man on trial, and this was a violation of the Sixth Amendment right to cross-examine witnesses. So that was kind of, I had to review that a few times to understand it. Both men confessed to the murder, okay, and both okay. men, like Scott said, yes, Springsteen was there. I see. With me. I see. And Springsteen said Scott was there with him. But w- at the trials, only Scott was at Scott's. Springsteen wasn't allowed at the trial. Vice versa also. So the confession was really the only thing that brought them to the trial. The confession of either one of them saying, yes, I was there and so was Scott. Yes, I was there and so was Springsteen. But the thing is, what what went against their Sixth Amendment right was that the defense could not cross-examine the other man. So at Scott's trial, his defense could not cross-examine Springsteen because Springsteen was not at the trial. Okay. And so that's their amendments were, were violated because there was no cross-examination. I see. It was just in the confession tapes. That was it. I see. And the confession was really the only evidence they had. They had no other evidence. Nope. Nope. Like the weapons, fingerprints, nope. Weapons DNA, have never nothing. been found. Couldn't do fingerprints because of the fire and the water damage. Mm-hmm. Both men were released in June of 2009, but not exonerated. 
meaning they could be retried for the same crime. By October, DNA tests were performed on evidence obtained from the victims, none of which matched Scott or Springsteen, nor did they match Wellborn or Pierce. Oh, gosh. So on October 28, 2009, all charges against Scott and Springsteen were dropped. So in this case, these men were also victims being falsely accused oh. of these horrendous crimes. And and they spent how many years in jail? Gosh. I mean, and going through a whole trial and getting put on death row. Yeah. Like, can, yeah. if they're truly innocent, I mean, can you imagine? They must have been scared to death. Oh, I find the DNA testing in this scenario to be quite interesting. I'd not heard of it before. It's called YSTR testing. This mm. DNA testing only extracts male DNA. So that cu- cuts out half the population. The testing was done on vaginal swabs taken from the victims. What it turns up was a partial male DNA profile from only one of the girls. And I believe this was Amy. Mm-hmm. Of course, this was no match to Springsteen or Scott. But whose DNA did it match? Let me explain partial DNA. What was found was only 16 markers. There should be 67 to 68 markers. So what they found was oh, only so, 16. wow. They really only, yeah. yeah. I mean, geez, that's not a lot at all. Over 100 men were tested, all the men that were at the crime scene and might have come in contact with the bodies. Investigators, firemen, police, personnel from the medical examiner's office, no match. In 2017, there was a breakthrough. An Austin police investigator got a hit on the public online DNA data base used for population studies. But as it happened with this case in the past, this avenue was blocked. This match had been submitted by the FBI in 2014, but had no name attached to it. When the FBI was contacted, they refused to release the name saying that there were privacy issues. What? Yeah. What? I know. That makes sense, does it? Texas Congressman Michael McCall, McCall got involved in 2020. Finally, the FBI agreed to work with the Austin Police Department. In 2021, with advancements made in YSTR DNA testing, nine additional markers were found, bringing the total to 25. Still, just a partial but enough for the FBI to determine that the DNA found at the crime scene was no longer a match to the sample in the public DNA database. Quote, the FBI YSTR profile is not an investigative lead. From a letter to the Congressman McCall from the FBI. And that's from the 48 Hours episode that I watched. So very frustrating. There is still a very small amount of the sample taken from the victim. And they're keeping this in the crime lab. It's being kept there for advancements in the DNA field. So it's it's a very, very small sample and they don't want mm-hmm. They want to use it wisely. I think we got they, one more try at this. They have to use right. it. Yeah, they have to use it the right way. So they're just waiting for even further advancements. And let's pray that this happens soon. Meanwhile... 31 years after the lives of four ambitious, loving, trusting women were so brutally taken 
Their families still await for answers. Families whose lives were ripped apart by this senseless murder. Even the authorities that responded that Friday night, December 6, 1991, will never forget. Detective John Jones, the first investigator at the scene, led the investigation into the yogurt murders for four years. He is now retired and sings in the church choir, but stated in the 2021 48 Hours interview that the case, even now, is not far from his mind. Quote, I can still see the inside of that place. That stuff's indelibly burned in my mind. Unquote. The night of the murders, Detective Jones was wearing a green and white striped shirt. He told the victims' families that night that the next time he wore that shirt would be when the suspects of this horrible crime were arrested. Jones still has the shirt laundered and pressed in his closet. His strongest hope is that one day he will be able to put that shirt on. Let's never forget Amy Ayers, Jennifer Harbison, Sarah Harbison, and Eliza Thomas. Rest in peace, angels. Even today, if you have any information about the December 6, 1991 yogurt shop murders, please call the Austin Police Department. And I will put that number on our website. I mean, it's enough that you lose a daughter. They lost two The family daughters. lost two daughters. The, the only children they had. And it's so frustrating because they wasted so much time going down the route of Scott and... And Springsteen. Springsteen. Yep. Thinking that they had their murders. So they lost all those years of investigation. Mm-hmm. They wasted so much time. The district attorney, she, plain, simple, even, I think even today, thinks that they had the right people even with all the evidence wow. against that wow yep i think i mean and probably anybody can conclude that it was those two men that were sitting oh, it, at it the had booth to be. neither one of them being the four young teenagers you know the the group of teenagers was not you know they weren't angels okay but they okay if anything they would have maybe stolen money out of the shop but they would never, never. This is a group of kids. They would never have killed those four girls. So whoever did this robbed the cash register. But they didn't ask for the money in the safe. They didn't ask for any of the money in the back room. Like It was obviously made to seems... look like it was a, a robbery. But many think that it had a sexual nature to it. But only one of the four girls showed. Maybe it could have been two but like i said sources are kind of out of whack on that one. Ugh, gosh darn it i know this one was really it was so sad to me but it also made me so mad it was, my emotions were all over the board on this one but i'm very happy that i was able to share it with you because these girls mm. they cannot forget them we can't forget these girls oh um okay are you ready Ugh, I just finished my drink. You really do need to try this. That is really tasty. I want to. I want to. Yeah, I've heard the yogurt shop murders several times before, but every time I'm just reminded of just how upsetting this one really was. Yes. Because I feel like, I don't know, I just really feel like this one is a dead end. Because so much time was wasted and they have so little DNA there to test. But other than that, there's, no there's nothing. It really, I think this case will 
the answer is someone coming forward and saying, I know mm. those two men or one of the two men not being able to live with the crime. I don't know. Who knows where those two men are right now, though? Are they dead? I mean, nobody seems to know who they were. But I think that's what this case is going to boil down to. We're finding something like the bomber jacket. Right. Right. Or the guns. You know, the guns <laughs> haven't been found. Ugh, that's a haunting one for sure. Talking about haunting, you've got a haunting one too, huh? You're not going to bring us up. You're going to scare us. Yeah, I know. I wrote this episode up and I texted mom and I said, mom, I'm done with my Texas episode and I have the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> <laughs> I have chicken bumps after writing this episode oh, up. Oh, no. Okay. I really, I'd, I honestly don't know where to start with this one. As always, I went to the Google. The Google. Haunted places in Texas. See? And I actually narrowed my search down even more because we haven't really, and we haven't covered a haunted house in a while. In a while. Unless no. you count, unless you count the White House, but I don't know if you can count that one as like a haunted house. So I Googled haunted houses in Texas. Oh, okay. Of course, I had to wade through the haunted houses you know the fake ones yes 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 i hate with (laughs) hanging clowns and scary men that chase you with chainsaws but i stumbled upon this house i went to its google page and found amazing reviews of hauntings you know how much i love those even on TripAdvisor. i mean this place is haunted and you can visit it yes a lot of reviews were even saying like really straightforward don't bring your kids here. Oh. It's not for kids. This place is legit. It's super haunted. So I'm like, why the heck haven't we covered this? And why have I never heard of this if it's so haunted? <laughs> yes. I mean, this place, the stories I was reading, it's crazy. Let's chat about that. The stories are all over the place. And they're pretty terrifying. But what I can't get a full grasp on is the history. Okay. The house has not been on Ghost Adventures, but it's been on Portals to Hell, uh, Paranormal Declassified, and Paranormal Files. And there's a few other YouTube videos I found. And although the ghost stories are pretty fluid, like they're all pretty in line with one another, the history, I'm just not sure, Mom. I'm just not sure. Proceed, darling, proceed. I mean, okay, just think about every tragedy that you can think of and every bad thing that could happen in a house. Okay. And supposedly that's happened in this house. Oh, good Lord. (laughs) Okay. And like these stories, and maybe they're true, maybe parts of them are true, like they've been passed down. Maybe they've just been passed down to keep this scary facade of the house. Right. It has been open for tours for years. And it's one of the oldest homes in the little town. So maybe to keep tours going. But it's changed hands a lot in the owners. Mm-hmm. The stories just seem to like they're similar but not similar. Like, I don't know. I don't know. But at the end of the day, it's haunted. <laughs> okay. I, okay. I'm going to tell you all about the Haunted Hill House in Mineral Wells, Texas. First, let's talk about Mineral Wells, Texas. It is a very small town, very quaint. Maybe 15,000 people live there. But it was first established in the 1870s, and they built it around the water there. 
Now, Judge Lynch, one of the big guys there in town, he started drilling. He found the water, but he didn't really know what to do with it because the water was hot and it was kind of stinky <laughs> and it tasted kind of funny. Who they drank that. He didn't know what to do with this water. Well, a local crazy lady, and yes, that is how she was described. <laughs> She, I guess, enjoyed the taste of the water because she started to drink it regularly. Now, remember, she was crazy. And after a few days, all of a sudden, she was normal. <laughs> she was cured. So the town started to call the water crazy water. Crazy water. Okay. Now, maybe you remember crazy water from a Ghost Adventures episode. They went to Mineral Wells, Texas, but to investigate the infamous Baker Hotel that is there, oh. not the Haunted Hill House. Okay. I meant to rewatch that episode, but I don't think they mentioned the house in that episode. I, I don't know. I meant to rewatch it, but I do remember Zach drinking the crazy water because remember they said it tasted like pennies. Zach started like hallucinating and like being all goofy and saying he was like high on the crazy water. I don't remember this at all. Back to my story. Judge Lynch, of course, starts bottling the water and selling this water that he got from his well. And the town starts to kind of grow from this stinky well water that he's <laughs> selling. Actually, a lot of insane asylums made their home in mineral wells. Mm. And doctors would give their patients at the insane asylums this crazy water. The water gave the patients this calming effect, and it actually cured them, people said. Okay. Years later, testing was done on the crazy water, and they found trace amounts of lithium in it. Oh, wow. Which, in case you don't know, it's actually still used to this day in treatments for bipolar disorder yes. and manic episodes. Yes. Now, de depending on the toxicity of the lithium, some have the effect of feeling high, which, like Zach Bagan says, he was high on the crazy water. Um, They sell, like, crazy water one, crazy water two, and crazy water three, and, like, the higher the number, the higher the lithium, essentially, that's in it. So they can increase the lithium? They can't increase it, but it's where they drilled, where they got it from the well. Okay. All right. But I guess you can increase the amount if you, like, are a good water drinker and you drink a lot of water during the day, like you. I know. I drink a lot of water. The people of Mineral Wells, like, they drink this stuff like water. <laughs> like, that's just... It is water. But they... They drink a lot of it. Honestly, it's really cool because to this day, people buy water from the same well and the same storefront that people bought since 1914. And it so that's, still has lithium in it. It still is the same water. Yeah. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> crazy water. That's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> now, Haunted Hill House was one of the first homes in Mineral Wells that remained standing. It was built in 1892. And just up the road, I mean, a quick walk, a stone throws away, is the Baker Hotel. Have we covered the Baker Hotel? I don't think we have. And if we haven't, we really need to. We should, okay. We really need to get a list of what we've covered. Yes. <laughs> we really need to start writing that down <laughs> because some of these stories are starting to sound <laughs> <Familiar>. too similar. <laughs> 
Okay, so a quick scat about the Baker Hotel in case we have or haven't. I don't know. It was the first skyscraper built in the United States that was not in a big city. It's this huge hotel that was very popular for some very famous people. The Three Stooges enjoyed their time at the Baker Hotel pretty regularly, I guess. Oh, and Judy Garland, which is one of my favorites. It opened the same day that the stock market crashed in 1932. It was built because of the traffic that was coming to Mineral Wells for the crazy water. The hotel had its own wells and it had spas, you know, based around the crazy water. You know, the whole spiel about natural springs. Eureka Springs all over again. It's so good for you. The traffic flow of tourists started to slow, though, over the years, and no one really was into the Mineral Springs and the resorts anymore, I guess. And then the hotel closed in 1972, and it sat abandoned ever since. Ghost Adventures went there. It's like the Baker Hotel is definitely one of the most, like, need-to-go places for ghost hunters. It is one of the most haunted places ever. Okay. It's the pinnacle of ghost hunting. Got it. From what I understand. And it's been sitting there abandoned. And fun fact, I learned from good old TikTok. But there's this guy. I can't for the life of me remember his first name. But his last name is Rawlings, I believe. And he and a team, of course. But they are restoring the Baker Hotel right now. Mm. And you can watch... The renovations and you can learn like fun history and about the hotel and everything on the good old TikTok. Wow, I bet that's an expensive endeavor. Oh, I'm sure. Okay, so you have this big old fancy hotel and just down the road is the Hill House, which served as the hotel's entertainment back in the day. And when I say entertainment, I mean it was a brothel. (laughs) Okay. So far, everything I've told you is true. Got it. I will keep you posted when we start to open the doors to all the legends. Okay. Okay, so sticking to the facts, the home was built in 1892 by a woman named Fanny Yeager. <laughs> That's the Jägermeister. Oh. <laughs> no, she's not related to Jaeger. It's not even spelt the same. <laughs> Just grasping at the it's pronounced Jaeger. So as I was doing my research, I go, oh, perfect. <laughs> Funny, those light bulb moments. Well, so Fanny and her sister Susan lived in the house. They were both widowed and they lived there together. And no, they did not run the brothel. The Jaeger family then and still to this day is a very prominent family there in Mineral Wells, Texas. And it It was just a residential home back when Fanny and Susan lived there. The Jaegers lived in the house before it became a brothel. They started. They built the house. They built the house. Okay. Now I'm with you. All right. Fanny died in the home in 1924 and Susan died in 1928. Both died in the home. Okay. Okay. Again, this is all true fact. Okay. Got it. From what I can tell. Now, here is our slippery slope down into the unknown. We do know it was a brothel. It became one after Susan's death in 1928. And some sources say it was run by a man named Willie. 
I guess that name has come through the spirit box before as well. Can I just add here, uh, a man running a brothel is kind of unusual, isn't it? I think because it was run basically through the hotel because uh. it opened like with prohibition and remember the hotel opened when the stock market crashed. So you have the Great Depression. This kind of started as like, yeah, the bad house, probably in the 30s. I think the house was probably owned by a man. He kind of ran the business of women and alcohol and everything kind of out of this house for the Baker Hotel. Okay. I've always thought of brothels as being run by women. And again, I don't know the legit fact. We know it was run as a brothel. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure if you looked at records, you can see who owned the home. But kind of all of the unknown starts after the sisters died. Gotcha. Okay. And the name Willie has come through on spirit boxes a time or two. So they say that he was the owner of the brothel or he had he worked there or he has something to do with the brothel. I see. Okay. Now, remember how I mentioned that every tragedy or scary thing you could think of has happened in this home? Yes. Are you getting to that? Because I that is still in the back of my mind. I'm wondering, good Lord, really? <laughs> okay. This is the story that's been told and this is not proven. Gotcha. But this is the story that's told. So Willie owned the brothel. There's also a woman named Elizabeth. And she was the niece of Willie in some stories, or she was just a prostitute that worked there when it was a brothel. But some stories say that Willie impregnated his niece, Elizabeth. She gave birth to a son named Joshua. Joshua was born disfigured. He had an enlarged skull, and some stories even say that he had webbed fingers and toes. Joshua, because of his appearance, was hidden away up in the attic of the home and was abused a lot by Willie. One day when Willie was beating Joshua, Elizabeth came in and tried to stop it. She and Willie got into a scuffle on the stairs. Elizabeth was shot with a shotgun. Her blood is still on the stairs to this day, is the story that they tell. Okay. And the gunshot has been heard by many paranormal investigators. Actually, on a video I was watching, the Russell Rush Haunted Tour on YouTube, they did hear a gunshot. Really? And, and you, you heard can it? hear it. Wow. Yeah, it was around 2.30 a.m. in their investigation, and there was what seriously sounded like a gunshot. Ew. Was this a residual from Willie shooting Elizabeth? I don't know, because... There is no actual record of an Elizabeth. There is no record of a Willie owning the home. (laughs) There's no record of a Joshua. No. And with no record of Elizabeth, there's, of course, no record of Joshua. The stories say that after Willie shot Elizabeth, he went back upstairs and beat Joshua to death. Oh. But again, there's no solid evidence of any of this. Okay. What there is, though, is a photo of what appears to be a little shadow-like figure, kid size, peeking out from behind the door in the room they call Joshua's room. The figure has a very enlarged, long skull, and the fingers that are holding onto the doorframe seem to be webbed. Oh my. And they call it Joshua's room. Many people pick up the name Joshua, and they communicate with a Joshua in that room. Interesting. Huh. Oh. 
So you have the first two owners dying in the home. You have the pain and suffering of the women that lived there Mm -hmm. when it was a brothel, I'm sure. You have this tragic, absolutely horrible story of Joshua and Elizabeth. What else? Well, let's see. The home supposedly was used as a makeshift hospital during the influenza epidemic. So you got people dying from influenza. Okay. A child is said to be buried on the side of the house. There is, in fact, this weird mound where people have dug and psychics say that the girl is buried there. I guess she went missing and psychics say she's buried there. So people have dug it up and there's nothing there, though? People have dug, but apparently they have not dug deep enough. (laughs) So the mound is perpetually there because people keep digging there. (laughs) Yes. A man fell from the roof of the home while cleaning the chimney, broke his neck, and died on the property. Mm. A little nine-year-old girl was hit by a car in front of the house. She stumbled towards the house for help and died on the doorsteps. A six-year-old little boy accidentally hung himself from his tree swing and died. The stump is there, marked with a cross etched into it by his parents. Flowers and teddy bears are left there for him. Okay, I have more. (laughs) (laughs) Now you see, like... What is true? What is not? Everything tragic you can imagine has happened at this house. Okay. Of course, there was a satanic cult that resided there at a time. Why didn't I think of that? Of course. And I am not against Satanism. I mean, to each their own, you know. But where I draw the line is when their beliefs start to hurt or kill beings. Yes. Especially people. Like to each their own, practice whatever you wish. But when you have to sacrifice a human being, that's where it's kind of like, I'm sorry, I draw Mm. the line at sacrificing a dog or a cat, too. But apparently this cult, of course, is said to have abused the women and children of the cult. Pentagrams were found etched into the hardwood floors of the upstairs bedroom. So you see what I mean? There are so many stories. But there's no actual facts. I see what you mean. Did this house ever sit vacant? I don't think so. I think it just went from hand to hand, was rented out, was owned, was rented out. From cult to cult? (laughs) Okay. Yeah, apparently. So we don't necessarily know the why, but this place is definitely haunted. And the stories have grown and grown over the years with the change of hands and the ownership. I watched, like I said, that YouTube video of the Russell Rush Haunted Tour show. Mm -hmm. He's given a tour and does the investigation with the house owner at the time. And the house owner's name was Phil. And then in another haunted YouTube video I watched, Paranormal Files, the owners were, and I believe they still are to this day, Kathy and Sonny Estes. But like Kathy and Sonny were giving their interviews and they said... Well, the last homeowners left in the middle of the night. They were so scared. And, you know, these past owners told us that they, in fact, did like Ouija boards and seances and stuff in the upstairs rooms. And they conjured a demon. And oh, but then you're like, OK, but I know Phil lived there before you and he seemed like a really nice guy. <laughs> He seemed like this really nice old grandpa. So was there like somebody who owned it after Phil and then they sold it to the Estes's? Like, I just don't know where these stories are coming from. (laughs) Yeah, that makes a good story, though. The people ahead of us 
witnessed all this stuff. And they had to move. They got up and left. They had the to move in the, the middle night. of the night. Left all their stuff. And they do tours there. Like you can do a tour, pay for a tour, pay to stay the night. So they're making money on this place too. Well, yeah. So the stories better be good. Yeah. It's literally called the Haunted Hill House. It has a plaque and everything. So yeah, like are the stories just to keep the tours coming or I don't know. But according to their stories, one of the homeowners that lived there did Ouija boards regularly. Mm. And I guess one of the shoot, I can't remember which because I watched a lot of paranormal shows on this house. And one of them said that they interviewed a girl who lived in the home. Her family lived in the home. And as a little girl, she and her sister were never allowed to go upstairs because that's where her parents would practice their Satanism. Oh. her She knows, in fact, that her parents did do a Ouija board upstairs in what is Joshua's room. She knows that they did Ouija boards and that they did conjure a demon. Really? Yes. So it, it, is this house like how many bedrooms does this house have i i'm trying to picture it well it's a really old it's a really old home Mm -hmm. from what i gathered there was a bedroom on the main floor and there was maybe two bedrooms upstairs okay so it's not a huge house at all no 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 it's not a large house at all not at all but like driving up to it you would drive past this house or look at this house and go yeah that house is haunted Like, it literally looks like a haunted house in the movies. What's so weird is it's a really small town, like I said, and you drive past the funeral home. Yeah. And you're so you're driving down the street, you pass the funeral home on your left, and straight ahead is the haunted hill house, like at the edge of the street. Oh. Well, the demon kind of scares me. Did they put the demon back in the portal? No, apparently no. This demon, he's not human. He's this negative entity that seems to really have a hold on this home. If you believe in any of the why this place is haunted stories or not, this demon, Toby, is there. And he really messes with people's heads. I think he was conjured by all of these negative stories and all of these people's energies coming into the home. That's my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Because the fact is, is he's there. He comes through in every investigation. He takes hold of people in all these investigations and I'll cover more. The fact is, is that this demon is there. And I personally think it's because all of these negative stories true or not, have fed him time and time and time again. So people are coming with these nervous, scared energies. And I think that that has created this entity. So you don't think he was conjured up? Or you think he was conjured up and he remains because he's feeding off of this negative, scared energy? Ouija boards were practiced there. Do I think that somebody came and opened a Ouija board and said, I want to create a demon named Toby? I or I'm calling forth Toby. I don't know. That could just be one of the stories that's been told. Yeah. But if a portal was opened with a Ouija board, and then you have all of these negative energies in this home, and these stories and this fear that all these people have on a constant basis, I think that that's created him. He's made up of all of these negative energies. Does that make sense? Like, that's my opinion. Mm-hmm. 
but his name is Toby. And all the paranormal shows and YouTube videos I watched of people doing investigations, no matter if they were amateurs or if they were like professionals, every single one of them was affected by Toby. Or at least one person on their team was affected by Toby. And it was so weird to watch. You know, I like I said, this has not been done on the big shows before. So watching all these amateur YouTube videos who've probably, like unless you sat down and purposefully were watching just Haunted Hill House videos, Mm -hmm. I don't think you'd see the correlation. But they all started to have the same symptoms, I guess you could say. And it wasn't like, okay, I don't know if I'm explaining myself very well, but say they're giving you a ghost tour and they say, and everybody gets really lightheaded in this room. (laughs) So then during your investigation... You already have that kind of like in your head. Well, I'm going to get lightheaded in this room. Right. Right. Gotcha. That was not discussed with Toby. So the symptom that like on Portals to Hell with Katrina and then um, Ozzy Osbourne's son, Jack Osbourne. I really like their show. If you haven't watched it, I really, really recommend it. Katrina, she describes it like she felt this negative energy and then she felt like nothing was there. And then she'd feel overwhelmed again and have this feeling of negativity. And then it was gone. And it would keep coming and going. Uh-huh. And so many other people described that too. And I think that's the way that Toby gains control. He's confusing you. Like he surrounds you and then he will dissipate. And so you don't, oh, you okay, I feel comfortable again. And then all of a sudden he's there again. And you're like confused and scared. And then you're fine. Right. It was really weird to watch because it happened to a lot of people. Interesting. I'm sorry. So then does he eventually remain or does he just keep doing that the whole investigation? So on the Russell Rush investigation, there was a woman there too who was just like, totally out of it all of a sudden she called it a feeling of an impending attack oh and i think that's how katrina was feeling as well but i think that puts it into words of like you feel this negative energy and then all of a sudden it's gone but you know that it's going to come back you just don't know when it's like that scary movie when you know somebody's going to jump out at you you just don't know when it's going to happen a huge adrenaline it just oh isn't that scary yeah that is really scary and it's such a different haunting that I have I've never read about or like it I just found that very scary to watch mm-hmm. an impending attack and she was totally on edge and she was very confused about it just like Katrina was she said that she felt like she was just swallowed up by darkness oh and she ref- she left she needed to get out of the house and then she refused to do any more interviews or anything afterwards She was just done. Yeah. So there is a room there called the scratch room Mm. because, well, people get scratched. And I think there have been, they said, like over 200 people that have been scratched in that room. Seriously. Yep. And in that room, they heard with their own ears and they picked it up on an EVP of someone saying, get out. Did you hear it? Yeah. And someone came in and was kind of like, taunting the voice again like oh you want me to get out like come on seriously what what are you gonna do and it said get out Ooh. 
And it did that hissing sound, which is usually a demon. There have been EVPs when people ask, who are you? And it responds, Toby. Clearly. Yep. And they say, what are you? And it responds, demon. Wow. There are other like little stories that have been passed down from owner to owner. There is this carousel in one of the rooms. The current owners said that it was there from the past owners. And then in the YouTube video that I watched from like four or five years ago with that Phil guy, I said he looked like a nice grandpa dude. Mm-hmm. He showed the carousel to the people he was giving the tour to and said that it was there from previous owners as well. So this carousel has been in this room for a very long time. It supposedly has something tied to it. It itself is haunted. Ooh, that would be spooky if all of a sudden it just starts going carousel music. Yeah, and like I guess if anybody touches it or tries to move it, things start to happen. Homeowner Phil told this story that I thought was just super creepy. But he said that one day they were cleaning the house and all of a sudden when they were walking down the hall, he discovered the head of an axe in the middle of the hallway on the floor. (laughs) You would see that, right? They're cleaning the house. They've been there for a while. You would see that. Come across it before that time. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So he's, He's like, where did this come from? A couple days later, they're doing some work around the house again because he refused to stay there. He didn't stay the night there or anything. Oh. And they heard what sounded like a little girl crying out in the woods behind the home. Oh. They go and they try to check it out, which, hello, have you not seen a scary movie? (laughs) Like, why would you go and try to check this out? (laughs) But they go try to check it out and they find the handle to the freaking axe. What? In the woods. Yes. Oh, that's weird. Like something led them to the handle. Mm-hmm. And this axe supposedly has something tied to it. And if you mess with it or touch it, things happen. Now, the current owners have like really made the home even creepier, in my opinion. They have all the Halloween-like props and stuff oh, filling geez. the house. Probably doesn't need that. No, it really doesn't. I think it's scary when you have it either empty or set up like an old home. Mm-hmm. You don't really need all the dolls. Like they have the two dolls that look like the girls, the twin girls from The Shining. Shining yeah. And, yeah. And then in the carousel room, they have like these marionettes and clowns and baby dolls oh. hanging from the ceiling. Uh-huh. Oh. They post on their social media a lot. And they have a ring camera or a security camera of some kind on the front doorbell. And they've captured like people walking up to the house. So it is up on a hill. And so there will be people walking on the sidewalk and down the hill in front of the house. And like I said, this house looks haunted. So, I mean, people will just go walk up to it and look at it. This house is very scary looking. So the surveillance video or the video from their doorbell captures people walking up to the house or walking past the house. And then a voice when no one is home. And it says things like, "Uh uh-uh, not today, or go away. Yeah. Oh. And it's on on their social media. You should go and check it out. Haunted Hill House. They have a bunch of stuff on there. One of the scariest stories that was told was of a shadow man. Mm. So not only do you have a demon, you have a shadow man. (laughs) And... That Phil owner I told you about, he never stayed the night. The one night that he decided to stay the night at the house, he was circled and rushed at by this shadow man. 
And this shadow man, there's like a picture of him in a closet. He's been photographed a few times. He has, he carries this like really negative energy with him. So maybe it is Toby. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's it Toby showing Toby, himself yeah. as the shadow man. Yeah. But no, this is the part that's super scary. The shadow man has been seen by people walking by or driving by in the yard. Oh, oh, God. oh it gets worse. He's seen motioning them to come to the house. No, no. To come to the house. Could it be a projector like a the owners projecting that in the yard. <laughs> let's just say that. Let's just say that they're, yeah. Let's go with that. Illusion. <laughs> so a few more things. They did the flashlight thing in the Russell Rush investigation. Mm-hmm. You know, the yes or no question. So you unscrew the back of a flashlight. So it's really, if you tap the flashlight, it can kind of turn on. If you tap it again, it turns off. Mm-hmm. So you ask the spirits, yes or no questions. And they were talking to what they assumed was Joshua. They said, like, are you Joshua? And it flashed yes when they asked. They asked him, do you know that you are dead? And it flashed yes. They asked, do you know the shadow man? And then there was no response. And then they heard heavy footsteps walking up to the closed door behind them. <gasps> And they felt something just standing out in the hallway behind the door. Uh, uh. <laughs> I'm getting the heebie-jeebies and I'm sitting in a corner. <laughs> oh On the same investigation, they were doing a spirit box. And they asked, did you get hurt in the house? And it answered, I did. They asked, do you know where you are? And it responded, heaven. And they said, did you work at the Baker Hotel? And then there was this like, I can't even explain it. This large gurgling grumble like thing that filled the speakers of the box. And then the box died. What? Just turned off, done, dead. Weird. Done. So again, there is a lot of hearsay in the history of the stories of this home. A lot of legend, I think. But it's definitely, definitely a dark place. I mean, all the reviews I've read, like I said, on Google, on Yelp, on TripAdvisor, it's dark. There's a lot of people that say that they've captured the shadow man. They've captured Toby in photos, EVPs. And like I said, maybe the shadow man is Toby. Maybe it's the same entity. But there are so many reviews mentioning just how legit haunted this place is Mm. and there are also a lot of reviews mentioning how welcoming and warm the current owners are but it's really a dark place (laughs) i i don't know don't bring your kids go check it out if you want but don't bring your kids and the house itself is very strict and they will not let you bring a kid in over the age of like it said i think it's ages 16 to 18 you need proof that a parent is there with them. Are you kidding me? Bring their birth certificate, I guess. Or their yeah. driver's license. Yeah. Oh, that is weird. Yeah. So, sorry, that was much longer than a normal ghost story that we cover, but... Okay. Uh, Beth, I, I don't want to go there. 
<laughs> Sometimes, a lot of times we do this. Go, Yeah, let's go there. That sounds like fun. Let's investigate. No, yeah. mom, I am so on board. This just seems so dark to me. Yeah, we don't need that in our life. Uh-uh. I am all for experiencing supernatural and paranormal stuff. But when you start throwing in the dark entities Mm-mm. and Toby's, no bueno. No bueno. And that's a no brano. <laughs> okay. Okay. I thought I was the one drinking tonight. I haven't touched alcohol. Oh, but I've been sitting in this corner and starting to get to me. I mean, she's squeezed in the corner now. <laughs> My bum hurts. Uh. <laughs> But seriously, go check out like YouTube if you want to see more videos and check out just what this house looks like. Well, I'll post pictures on our social media, but yeah. And you can go to their website, hauntedhillhouse.com. You can book a stay. They have events there. A weeknight, you could rent it for a weeknight for $425 or a weekend for $550. It literally says, I'm reading it now, minors aged 15 to 17 will require a legal guardian at all times on the property. Guardian will have to sign a consent form. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Oh, oh, you can have birthday parties there. You can have a wedding there. (laughs) They provide a minister, catering, and an overnight stay. Oh, baby. (laughs) Oh, And for $55 each, you can add on psychic readings, tarot card readings, spiritual massage, or $55, you can add on some pizza. (laughs) With the pizza route. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Scary place. Scary place. If you've been, if you've been brave enough to go, if you live near Mineral Wells, I want to hear, I want to hear your stories. Yeah. And if you have pictures, even better. Oh, my gosh. Please. <sighs> okay, enough of this episode. I'm sorry. Go check out this website, you guys. Check them out on social media. It's it's crazy. Okay, moving on. You won't hear from us again for another two weeks. This is the last time, though. We will come back at you August 22nd. And then we're going to start every Monday again. Back at it every single Monday. Every single Monday. And we have some great things in store. Go and follow us on social media. You can find all of the resources we used for this episode and photos on our website, killerhangoverpodcast.com. And on our social media, we're on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, all the good stuff. YouTube. YouTube. I'm excited about the YouTube. (laughs) Oh, all right. And then don't forget to join us on Patreon if you guys want to hear that awesome interview with Molly Monahan. P.I. Yep. <laughs> okay, sweetheart. Well, winding down. This was fun, even virtually. This was fun. Far, far apart. This was a good episode, Mom. Yes, it was. I'm happy you enjoyed your drink. Thank you. It was really tasty. I'm going to make it for you next time we get together. Sounds good. Cheers, Mama. Cheers. Love you, kid. <laughs>